This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Tamika. Good evening, my name is Tamika. I'm a compulsive reader. Hello, everybody. It's really good to be in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous tonight. It's very strange to have a microphone in front of me. I just want to thank my sponsor, her sponsor, other people they sponsor, friends of mine, for coming here to see me, and um, just everyone who's been in OA longer than I have for keeping the doors open and the coffee going, so to speak. It's just really, I just want to take a second to say it's a real honor to be here. You know, I've listened to the podcast. For years, and um, there's so many people involved in this meeting that are pillars of my abstinence. So with that, started on what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. So I am 26 years old. I'll actually be 27, a little over a month. And I came into Overeaters Anonymous and got abstinent just about this time, November 2nd, three years ago, for the first time. And my abstinence date today is January 20th of 2008, so I'm currently celebrating one year and nine months and 11 days of continuous back-to-back abstinence, rigorous honesty, thanks to strong sponsorship and a loving higher power. Um, So, what it was like, I was a very sensitive kid. I grew up in alcoholism. I believe it's pertinent to my story. It doesn't make me a compulsive overeater. I mean, the alcoholics in my family call themselves alcoholics. Also, everyone in my immediate family is a com- compulsively overeats. My mom, dad, well, not my dad so much, but my mom, my brother, and my sister are definitely all morbidly obese. My dad and my stepmom are pretty much morbidly obese. My dad has chronic pancreatitis from binge eating. He also has onset diabetes, and he's 49. And he's on two insulin shots a day, one long-acting and one fast-acting. And that's the kind of eater that I am. My top weight was 255 pounds, which isn't quite so bad, considering that I'm nearly 5'10 and have, like, a pretty large athletic frame. I was wearing – I was spilling out of a size either 22 or 24, so it was certainly bad enough. Drove me to a diet that I lost the most weight I ever lost on. And at the time, I was – 19. I was 19 at that time. And basically what happened for me is I was generally, I had a normal body weight when I was a small child and as a baby and all that sort of thing. And then one day when I was eight years old, I just gained like 30 pounds like that. Just just the ravages of growing up in alcoholism. And um, I know that I was a compulsive overeater before that. How I know that is that through doing an inventory, I remember this time when I was four, 
before many of the bad things that I used to blame my eating on happened to me. I was four, and I decided I was going to run away. And I had a, I, I had my, my stuffed animal that, you know, they put in the crib that I carried around with me. All, her name is Mary Baby. And she was my invisible friend. And um, I asked my, I told my mom I was going to run away. So would she please pack me some peanut butter and honey sandwiches? <laughs> and I asked her to pack extra ones for Mary Baby because she eats a lot. And, um, I mean, I was poor, but I... I'm pretty sure that I knew that Mary Baby was not going to eat sandwiches. Like, I can almost kind of remember saying it and, like, re- remember thinking I was, like, getting one over on her, you know? Um, I didn't end up running away because I couldn't think of going anywhere, like, beyond, you know, the corner. And, <laughs> and we didn't grow up, like, in a nice neighborhood, so, like, it wasn't even paved at the time. Probably it's not paved now, but um, at any rate, I, I didn't run away. But when I remembered that, I thought, yeah, I'm a compulsive overeater. So I gained that weight, and I remember, I don't know that I noticed it really until I went to for a physical at the doctor's office, and my mom really liked our doctor. She didn't trust all the adults, but she really spoke highly of our doctor and said we should trust him, which is kind of like, you know, something I remember. And I'm the eldest. They're two younger than me. We went to the doctor, and the doctor said that he was going to give me a prescription of Pepsi and Oreos. And we were really poor. We were really like government cheese no extra anything, very, very poor. Section 8, food stamps, before they had cards, lunch take, like whatever. I was very ashamed of how poor we were. So we never had name brand anything, let alone like Ralph's brand cookies or anything like that. So I got excited because I didn't realize he was being sarcastic. I, I got excited and I was like, did you hear what he said? You have to buy me Pepsi, you have to buy me Oreos. And I looked at her and she just had this look on her face like, she was so, she just, her head was on her chest, and she didn't know what to do, and, you know, and the grown-ups don't know what to do, you know, and she was like, honey, he's, he's not, he wasn't being serious, and she was just so embarrassed, I could tell she was embarrassed for me, and didn't know how to deal with it, and I don't, like, you know, I was a little kid, so I don't remember, I don't know really how true that story is, um, I haven't thought about it until I did my inventory in this program, so I know I didn't, like, grow up feeling victimized by it or anything like that, but um, I think that's probably when I started to notice that I was overweight and that it was a social issue. I um, was basically, uh, you know, fat kid, up, down, up, down, just gaining a little bit more weight, a little more weight, always tall, whatever, and when I was 11, I went on my first diet that I devised myself, and I uh, thought I was a genius. I decided I was going to chew up my food and then spit it into a napkin before I swallowed it so I wouldn't get any of the calories. And I told somebody like a week in or something, I wasn't doing it all the time, but I'm pretty sure it was my dad that I told. And he was, at this point, he had um, left our family and we saw him every other weekend, but not so regularly in the beginning, very irregularly for a while. So anyway... He was there, and I remember um, I told him, like, this is my new diet plan. I'm going to spit my food out on a napkin. And he was like, yeah, that one doesn't work because if you chew it, you're just going to get all the calories anyway. And I know this, like, oh, I think you might have a problem. Like, like I tried that. It doesn't work, you know. So, <laughs> um, so I went on a more effective diet when I was 13 in junior high school. Um, by then, we had, you know, the lunch you get at school. You could get salad bar if you wanted. So I just started getting salad bar, and I stopped eating all of the treats that my mom would buy us on the weekend. We were definitely a weekend warrior family. 
Friday night Chinese food or at my dad's house. Everyone gets a sleeve of whatever and another bag of chocolate, whatever, and everybody eats their whole own bag basically on Friday. And um, pizzas and it was just the same at either house and, you know, two movies and that was our life. And I stopped eating a lot of that stuff. Um, I also was, um, you know, they're like family dynamics and I'm like trying to control things. And um, I, I know that my... You know, doing doing the steps of Overeaters Anonymous has really freed me of having to tell the sad story about how I grew up. It has really, really freed me because I can look back and see where I was a producer of confusion rather than of harmony in my home. And I can look back and see how my, I made decisions based on self, which later placed me in a position to be hurt, and how my ego, my way of thinking, I need, we need to do it my way. Don't you see we're ruining it? You're ruining it. And granted, you know, growing up in a house like I did, it was like a burning ship, and I, that's how I felt about it. I felt like this is a burning ship, and we have got to bail. And all of you people, it's every man for themselves because you people are dragging me down. And I know that when I made decisions about how I was going to interact with my family, I made decisions that, because I hated myself and how I could not control my eating. I could not control my eating, and I was humiliated in school all day, every day. And I was so humiliated by being a fat kid and being unable to keep from eating and unable to stick to a diet already that I just wanted to die. So I turned that hatred on my family. And I would call them the spineless and stupid, or that was the attitude that I brought into my home. And I refused to eat snacks with them and refused to binge with them because I did not want to be associated with them. And because I wanted to control my weight better, I wanted to be a she-ra, superwoman, cast in iron, nothing will touch me, I can do what I want, I can be who I want, and I will become, and, you know, the world will see, or whatever. I'll be who I'm supposed to be, as, like, if this mistake of me being put here with you people hadn't happened. And that was basically my attitude. And, um... So I stopped eating that stuff, and I started exercising, and I was very determined to bring discipline into my life. And if I weren't a compulsive overeater, that would have worked, because I did lose probably 20 or 30 pounds, and I was like 13 years old um, in junior high school, and I started running more in PE. And, um, you know, the day came when I could not stand to see myself in the mirror anymore, because I was starting to not recognize myself, which turned like a very scary button in in my world. I could not lose too much weight. It like flipped a switch and like the day I would be thinner than I had ever been, I'd start eating again. Or maybe it wouldn't be that. Maybe it would be something else. Maybe it would be the summer. Maybe it would be the winter. Maybe it would be a Friday. Maybe it would be a Monday morning. Maybe somebody brought something into school. You know, maybe somebody looked at me funny and I just knew that they all hated me like I did every day, you know. So eventually I would start eating again, and I would gain the weight back, and I'd lose it, and I'd gain it, and I'd lose it. And it was just like that up, down, up, down, stupid, fat, and ugly, stupid, fat, and ugly, can't get ahead, you can't do your homework right, you can't do anything right. Withdrawing more and more into my family and into myself and not taking actions based on the, not taking actions to pursue dreams of mine. When I was a little girl, I um, studied at the community center, study like, you know, ballet, and then I stayed an extra long because the teachers liked to teach me because I was an apt pupil, and I loved it, and then I realized that there were no fat girls on toe, on point, so I gave up that dream, food can have that dream, so then I did jazz, because you're on the ground the whole time, there's none of this, like, throwing you in the air and all that, so, um, 
I did that, but I gained too much weight, and I didn't look good in the leotards, or, you know, I could dance as well as the older girls, but I didn't look like them. So I remember just being at this one recital and walking around in this leotard, like all the other girls my age were doing, but I was fat, and I remember somebody said to me afterwards that um, it wasn't appropriate for me to walk around like that, you know, and, I mean, I remember who it was, but it, like, it was, <laughs> it, it, but, you know, it's not that it's, like, she was trying to spare my feelings. She was trying to keep me from being socially unacceptable and making a fool of myself, I guess. But what I heard was, okay, jazz is gone. You know, it's it's over. Because that's how I decided to control my life. You know, I always, I remember, like, my earliest dream that I ever wanted to do was I wanted to be a runway model. Like, when people say, oh, I saw, you know, some lawyer. When people say, I've always known I wanted to be a lawyer. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I remember the day on television I ever first saw runway models on like the you know 10 o'clock news or whatever I just remember I don't really remember what I saw but I remember being like that is it that is what I am going to do and I started practicing my walk like that night you know and like then for the rest of my life I was like always walking and I like ruined my posture because I was trying to walk like a model my mom would always like tell me about my posture and but you know I never told anybody I wanted to do that I never I had opportunities to pursue stuff like that but I mean who's going to take you seriously when you're a fat kid it just the world was not like it is now there was no Beyonce there was no Jennifer Lopez there was no plus fashion there was no shampoo or makeup advertising magazines for women of color you couldn't get it in my hometown um so you know I just I just kept quiet and I had this whole idea about social hierarchy and I knew that in God's world, um, you know, in the big book it says that deep inside every man, woman, and child, there is the undeniable truth of the higher power and that the great reality is deep within us. And I um, know that I had an idea of what a God to me was. And I was very interested in all the different religions of the world. I wasn't raised by anything particularly. We just grew up in a very non-denominational Christian community, so I went to church with a lot of my friends, and um, I was not a Christian. But um, I knew that there was a God, and that God loved all people equally, and that democracy was the closest thing to, like, that's what I felt, was that democracy was as close to what we could understand of how God loved us, and, you know, parents love their children, and and I knew that the only thing, I felt that all religions were talking to the same God and that it was just the same concept, basically, through different um, metaphors. I thought that when I was a small child, and I, that's, you know, a cornerstone of my faith today. It is. But when I was a small child, I remember thinking, okay, so that's what God, God thinks we're all the same. But while I'm here on earth where everything is screwed up with all these earth people, they don't know that. You know, they've got this social hierarchy. And basically, if you've seen the movie Pretty in Pink, that was my concept of the world. Only, I, I never saw the movie, but it was just, you know, social hierarchy. Um, no, seriously, I saw the movie when I was like a senior in high school, and I was like, whoa, I've never seen this movie before. But it was totally, you know, it was the Richies and the poor kids and the cross tracks, and so I just had this idea about how I needed to show up the way everybody else saw me so that I could climb the social ladder so that people would take care of me so I wouldn't end up, you know, homeless on the street. I was like terrible fear of like you know dying being left and I need to be taken care of and people need to love me in order for that to, ha- to have happened so I went about my merry little way trying to control my eating beating myself up with diets I tried classic bulimia I tried anorexia I was never good at that one I tried laxatives one day one time um, it was quite a commitment and um, 
I try and uh, exercise bulimia was really like the one that I would go back to because you know you could work out and my my parents met at the gym that was like their little sweetheart story so all three of us are very tall and athletic looking um, and my body responds very well to exercise I just don't do it that often so when I do do it like you know three hours a, a day for like five days a week I, my, I naturally lose my appetite just eating like half of one of those little trays of sushi that's like white rice and avocado at a meal and wearing like three layers you know like spandex before that was popular um but like underneath and then shorts and then like sweatpants and then a sweatshirt and a thermal and you know just to sweat it out and you're going to get it you're going to become you're going to do you're going to get the job you're going to show them you're going to learn another language and then you're going to take a calculus class just because you know another one and and this basically continued into college and it was just up down up down up down and then i gained a lot of weight in college I started to drink sometimes, and that was, like, immediately kind of out of control. But I could control it because I was afraid to become an alcoholic like people in my family. And I also needed to control it to go on diets. I couldn't really stop drinking for anything, but I could stop drinking to go on a diet. And I did that for, like, two years. And then I went, got to my top weight, 255, really, really, really depressed. I mean, I was had insomnia for 10 years. From 20, well, I mean, more than 10 years, from, from when I was 11 until I, um, until like 2005, until I was uh, 22. And then I had just suicidal depression for like all my life, like 20 years. Suicide, like I was, re- I started take, uh, one year in, in high school, I started poisoning myself with like stuff from under the sink, which is pretty heavy. Not all compulsive overeaters do that, but like, you know, food was doing for me something I really needed to have done. And I really needed a way out. And, um, so I went on this diet. It was like one of those two shakes and a meal, anything you want type diets um, because I had already tried Atkins and it was just impossible at school, I felt, in the environment that I was in. Um, and that worked actually really well. I lost 50 pounds for the first time and I maintained it for a while and then I studied abroad in Germany and my German fam- host family was like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you like the food? We promise we'll cook something better tomorrow. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I started eating again. I just started eating full meals, and that first full meal I had that was, like, big, I was just like, it is on now. You know, no more shakes. Well, I'm in Germany. I brought all my shake stuff with me, you know, (laughs) across the Atlantic. And I packed the weight on in those four months, and um, I let go. I stopped controlling myself, you know. And when I came back to the States, I found that I was unable to control, to stop behaviors, to go on a diet. I, was un- I had lost a huge amount of control um, when I came back. And um, then it was just kind of like, you know, a slow, halting trip to the end. And um, eventually I got introduced to recovery. What happened was I went to, I was suffering from these rage attacks, like uncontrollable rages, um, and I just, I could never see the warning signs. I wouldn't know until I was in a class and, like, needed to throw a chair against a wall, you know, to let off some steam. So I ended up going to the school doctor and getting psych meds. I went there to get the psych meds, not to find out how to deal with my rage, but to get psych meds. And he gave them to me, quite willingly, and asked me if there was a history of alcoholism in my family, and I said yes. And he said, okay, well, we have this meeting. It's an Al-Anon meeting. And I don't think anyone had asked me about the alcoholism in my family 
for years because my mom went to AA when I was 13. And she went on the wagon periodically, but she did not um, stay in AA. She's not in AA now, and she has not had any kind of continuous sobriety. So I just hadn't thought about it. You know, she wasn't drinking, so I didn't, I didn't know anything about the disease of alcoholism or I, I knew that there was something wrong with me. I didn't know what was, you know, I just, I just didn't know. I didn't know that this thing affects you whether you're eating or not, whether you're engaging in the compulsive workouts or not. You know, um, my need to control myself and to force myself into this image of person that I have decided it's okay to be affects me whether I'm sweating it out at the gym for three hours a day or not, whether I am trying to become a bulimic again or not, or flirting with the idea whether I'm in recovery or not, basically, it's going to affect me, and that's just the way that it is. It's just the way that it is. I don't believe it will ever change. I believe that I could work the greatest, strongest, closest to the fellowship program, and 25 years from now I will have an urge or a thought that I will have no mental defense against to take the first bite, to go out, that I don't need you. It will happen whether I'm here with you and whether I'm not. I truly believe that, and that's why I stay as close as I can every single day on a daily basis. And so through um, a series of events, and, I mean, I started going to this Al-Anon meetings, and, boy, I really started drinking. Um, and that eventually sent me into, that eventually sent me into a way of life that, um, you know, um, I, I stopped all that. I was able to stop all that through the help of, you know, my loving higher power. And um, then I really needed to eat, you know, and my eating just really took off. It just really because I needed to eat to survive, you know, like I never had. I just needed to, just, I, you know, I'm going to drive my car off the bluff in Westchester. Just get to the Ralphs that's at the bottom of the hill. Get a package of cookies, and then we'll discuss suicide, you know. It really just got me through. It really got me through, and um, it just made my life smaller and smaller and smaller and then I dated this guy who was in CEA How and he was like well I'm a compulsive overeater and I was like oh really what's that I mean the first time I ever heard the word compulsive overeater was when my mom went to AA actually when I was 13 I don't know who told me I don't know how I heard about it but somehow I knew that there was an Overeaters Anonymous program that was just like AA and I remember in high school in the local newspaper looking up community meetings and there was a list of where the OA meetings that week were meeting. And it made me feel really secure and safe. And I never went. I never, I don't think, ever told anybody I wanted to go. Maybe I talked to my mom about it once or twice, like we should go to this. I don't know if I did. I certainly didn't follow up. But it just made me feel safe. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, what's that? And he was like, well, I have to weigh my cottage cheese in the morning. And I was like, uh-huh. And he's like, because if I don't weigh it, I'll even binge on cottage cheese. And I'm like, oh, I've never binged on cottage cheese before. Like, I don't know what that's like at all. I mean, I'm a volume eater. I will binge on anything. I binged my way on broccoli. And that's why I believe I wasn't 400 pounds. I'm really a 300 to 400 pound eater who was able to stop at 255, which is like a freaking miracle, let me tell you. Um, so I uh, was dating this guy. He was going to see a how, and I was going to support him sometimes. And I naturally kind of stopped eating a little bit because... I didn't eat ice cream because I had a real boyfriend, um, and then, you know, he dumped me, and um, he dumped me, and then I needed my boyfriend ice cream back, you know. Eventually, I started going to OA. I had a woman that who was in my life who I trusted with my life, um, and I could not 
I could not get through a day. I had just gotten this new job. I was receptionist. And at the front desk, there are bowls of candy. And then I get in in the morning. It's my job to order the candy. Uh, the first thing I do is start an oven of Otis Spunkmeyer cookies. And then I place them out everywhere. And then if anybody, if they run low, I have to cook more and put them out again. And I put out Otis Spunkmeyer muffins. And then I order every kind of snack on God's green earth and <laughs> stock it in my in my office. And it's part of our client service. We're like, you know, the Four Seasons or whatever. And it's like snack time all the time. And I gained 15 pounds in three weeks. You know, I hit a bottom. Hog, or Godiva came out with ice cream by the pint. Oh, my gosh, my, like, crack cocaine. And I was just, I was, like, getting high and crashing, getting high and crashing. And I did this writing when I was at work because I was so trapped in it, you know, I remember thinking in college, is there ever going to be a Thursday that I'm not thinking about what I'm going to eat all weekend long, how I'm going to show up and try to pretend to be one of these normal real girls and be able to binge the way I need to binge so that they don't have to watch me because that torture of like all the girls sitting in a circle after school and there's like a plate of cookies or some snack in the middle and like maybe the phenomenon of craving has me today, maybe it doesn't. I never know. It's like Yahtzee. And if it gets me, you know, it's like the walls close in and all I can think about are the cookies and how I'm so ashamed that I'm even eating one, but I want to be able to eat it and then stop like all the other skinny girls do, because if I act like they act, I'll become a skinny girl too. And I remember thinking, like, if, is there ever going to be a day when I don't do this? Is there ever going to be a day when I don't eat myself to sleep? Because I had insomnia, you know? And I, that year that I was taking, um, like, you know, Windex or whatever from underneath the sink, I w- stopped eating food, basically, and I started eating uh, powdered sugar, like by the bag um, until my mom found out and told me she was going to stop my gym membership. (laughs) 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 And um, because, man, that stuff put me to sleep. It's like, you know, and I was so trapped and I was 25 years old and life was supposed to be getting on. I I was on this new track and I just was not getting it like other people were getting it. You know, I was not feeling free. I was still suicidally depressed. And um, this woman said, you know, I went to Overeaters Anonymous, and when um, when I felt like that's the only thing that helped. So I started OA on the drive-by plan, and I went to one meeting a week, because that's what I could fit in my schedule, and I could not get there on time to save my life. And, like, I know how to show up for a 12-step program. I know you get there early, you take a commitment, you raise your hand, you talk to people. I wasn't, like, keen on getting a sponsor really joining or anything, but... I was going to show up, and I couldn't do it. And, you know, after a few months, it was like, I am not going to show up anymore because it's ridiculous. I'm going there. I mean, but but you had me. It was a thing because you had, like, seriously decreased my ice cream pint consumption by the week. So I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. But, oh, my gosh, Overeaters Anonymous, like, it was so lame and so drab. And everyone's faces were so gray and dead and depressing and whiny. And I just hated it. I hated it. And I couldn't get there on time. And I was so embarrassed. So I was like, you know what? Um, I walk up to this woman and her friend. And they're both – I was at a meeting with a different fellowship. And um, they both have, like, 20 years abstinence or had, you know. And um, I was like, I'm I'm leaving away. And she was like – Oh, okay, why? And I was like, because I came through the wrong time. And her friend turns to me, and her friend has never been fat. I have a little resentment. Her friend turned to me, and she goes, oh, so you're just not willing. 
And I turned to her and I was like, you're right, I'm not willing. She's not willing. Ha! And I went and sat down. and was like, I'm leaving Overeaters Anonymous. And it was November the 1st or November the 2nd. And uh, I had Halloween candy in my mouth at this meeting because I had, like, it stuffed in my purse. And something that the speaker said, he said, why would you get back in the ring with something that's had you knocked out every single time you got in the ring with it, ever? And that just so hit me, and I was just like, I mean, with the chocolate on my tongue, I was like, oh, my God, I would love to never have to get back in the ring with sugar. And then it was like I heard a voice that said, you don't have to. And I knew I was abstinent. I just, I knew, you know, and I turned to this woman who didn't know me from Adam, but I knew she was in OA. I knew she was an anorexic who was in OA, and I turned to her, and I was like, oh, Leaky, I'm abstinent, and she was like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> but she remembers that still. I'll tell her on my birthday, like, you know, in a couple of days, this next week, next time I see her, I'll say, it's been three years, and I haven't had any sugar from that day to this, and, um, and then it was nine months of having a sponsor and um, trying to work a a food plan, trying to find the food plan that was going to work with me, trying to figure it out. None of them worked because I would eat again. And eventually I was just slipping farther and farther out of control and I needed to do the steps. I had some other things I needed to complete in my life before I could start the step work. I'd worked that out with my sponsor. So time came, I needed to do the steps and I did not feel abstinent in a way. I couldn't put down the food. I was having like five mini meals a day instead of three meals and two snacks. But I couldn't get loaded. It wasn't doing anything for me anymore. I was never full. It was like I had a hollow leg for the first time. I wasn't drowsy. I wasn't like nothing. But I couldn't touch sugar because I was too afraid. So um, I was going to these meetings, and I knew what I wanted in a new sponsor. And um, this woman was doing a subsidy out of her house. And... um, I just I was asking all these people to sponsor me, eight people in like three weeks, and I couldn't find anyone to sponsor me. And um, I mean now it's like so ludicrous because I know like you know so many people are going to sponsor me now. But um, I just asked her, would you sponsor me? Would you take me through the steps? And she said yes. And I said, and then she said, I don't think you're going to want to do what I do. And I was like, I don't care. I was just going to ask me to go to five meetings a week or something or you know whatever. And what she asked me to do was to do the food plan that she did, and um, she is my sponsor today, and we've been working together for two years and two months, and I am maintaining an 80-pound weight loss since I started working with her. It's been almost two years I've been maintaining an 80-pound weight loss. I, my, my weight has risen in that time, uh, particularly lately, but... Um, Man, she was everything I didn't want, everything on my short list that I didn't want in a sponsor, just, like, in name, in, like, you know, she does this, and she, um, you know, she's in this program, and, and she knows, like, whatever. I, There was just things that I had talked to a spiritual advisor about. I thought they were pertinent, but um, she was everything I didn't want, and she has been just the key to my life and has rocked my world and has gone through the fire with me. When my body was changing and my family couldn't handle it and was calling me, like, skin and bones and, you know, telling me I had some sort of disease or something like that, she, I would put on a new outfit, and it would look amazing, and she would start crying like she was my mom. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that, and I needed it. And, you know, she was on the phone with me every day for so long and took all my crazy emails all day long, and I felt like my skin was ripped off without sugar. And then without food, I felt like I lost, I realized I lost my best friend. You know, um, I was in mourning. 
I was just in mourning, and I needed every one of the steps because I knew that it was totally an untenable situation to continue staying away from the food the way that I was. There was no way I could do it, so I had to do all the steps. And um, I I did those steps, and it's the longest, biggest fourth step, most thorough fourth step I've ever done. And I was able to see my part, to see where I was a producer of confusion, where I was the tornado, how I turned my back on my family when I decided they weren't good enough for me. You know, when I'm judging their diseases and and they don't have what I have, you know, they don't. I could have compassion, but I, you know, I don't, and that's my part. I had to tell that sob story all the time, you know, all that baggage, what they did, what they didn't do. And so long as I'm busy telling you that, I'm not off living my life, spreading the wings that OA has given me to be free, you know. I could do anything I want, and I do all kinds of stuff now. I go out dancing. I pray and meditate, I go to conventions, I just, I do all kinds of stuff and nothing stops me today. And recently I have been having to look at the family, family stuff where I started eating and it has not been comfortable and I have not been, had names for my feelings and just, it will be like a panic attack hits hits me and I can like all of a sudden feel the storm brewing and it's too late to stop it and I know I'm going to be crying for the next three hours but I'm like, no wait, it's 10 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm at work, like we can't do this now and it's just, there's no, you know, there's no like reasoning with it and I don't know how to deal with it and I'm not going to lie, I picked up I I picked up extra food to help coat the feelings because I didn't know what to do. I have not lost my abstinence, and I have gained weight. And it has woken up some beast that tells me, like, it's okay. You can have a snack tonight again. You just will start again tomorrow. You know, responsibility and maturity starts tomorrow. If they knew how you felt, they would eat too. You know, you really can't help it. You have these crazy emotions, and it's just part of your disease. It's so sad. And if that were really the truth, I would be in bondage forever, and we might as well not come here. Emotional immaturity is an effect of my disease. I mean, I was just telling my sponsor the other day on Monday, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't get myself to bed on time. I can't get out of bed on time. And like, everything's a fight. I don't want to weigh my meals. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to come to me because I don't want to call. It's like I'm dealing with a teenager except for it's me. And she said, I remember the first time someone told me I was immature, and it really struck me. And I was like, Arm? immature? <laughs> I remember using the word immature. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm the eldest child of a woman alcoholic. Like, people have been calling me nothing but mature my whole entire life, right? I'm so mature. And, um, no. And at this week, I've been able to see it. I am immature. You know? I have a feeling I don't want to deal with it. I don't, like, I didn't have the same opportunities. It was so sad. I couldn't deal with my feelings. I threw this away. I just want to be sad all the time. And I will be sad and locked into a life I don't want to live in. And it, I will be forced to blot out the intolerableness of my situation by picking up more food. And today, I do not want to live that way. Today, I work with others. I call my sponsor. I have redefined an abstinence and a food plan, and it's evolving, and it works for me. And I don't change my date every two to three months like I used to. That's why I have not picked up anything I ever said I wouldn't pick up in the three years since I've been in OA. I have just compulsively changed my date because it wasn't good enough. It just wasn't good enough, you know, and I'm keeping the date that I have now. I'm not, like, taking my time back because I need to remember what the restriction and what the super perfectionist will do to me because what it will do to me, it will also do to you, and I just don't want to hurt people anymore. I have done irreparable damage to people in my family, 
Like, my brother and sister live five minutes away from me, and I probably have seen them twice this year. Uh, not, not probably, I have seen them twice this year. And, you know, their life is not one I would want to live in. And they, like my sister, you know, these people, they're totally, really, really successful. And I love them so much, but they have recreated some of the drama that we grew up in. And I don't live that way today. I feel responsible because I was a really bad sister and a bad babysitter, you know, in the situation that we were in. And the steps free me from blame, free me from having to take the blame from that. Not that I don't want to blame myself. Not that I haven't had to find a way to practice a ninth step because they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't, they don't want to talk about it. And I have to respect that. I have to respect that. I don't get to go and demand apologies or reopen old wounds in other people so that I get um, absolution. I have to find a way to try and feel okay with that. And that's why I'm doing the work now because nothing is, you know, nothing has worked to the extent of freedom that I need. You know, I um, see them when I can and I try to be supportive. I ask them about themselves. I try to do the same thing with my parents. I can tell you, I can end this on a, um, a miracle story. Uh, besides me, besides being, I mean, I would not have fit in the dress I'm wearing right now when I was 13 years old. Fact. That is a fact. And I'm 27, and it's Halloween night, and I'm going to go grab a friend, and we're going to go to a party. You know what I mean? And I lived with ice cream and then it was you know sugar-free frozen yogurt and my couch and the remote and my thoughts and my feelings were my friends and just this last week I realized my thoughts and my feelings are still my friends today you know so I gotta like you know there's more work I need to do um thank you for my life